This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined for the first time in 2023 by Mo Stewart. Mo, how was your new year, mate? It's been good. It's been good. Um, I was doing my other job on New Year's Eve, DJing, bringing in the new year, which is always fun to do. But uh, yeah, it's been. I was thinking it's been a while since we've done one of these. Like I've done another show. Uh, I mean, I've had a very entertaining and educational chat with Mr. Carrigan on Twitter. Uh, and I've watched Liverpool play two really bad games of football. So lots has been going on. Yeah, yeah. It's It, it has been a while. I'm not sure when our last episode was. I think it was before the return to, to Premier yeah. League football. And obviously Liverpool have played three times now since that. And bought a new player, which we didn't see coming. So we've got quite a lot to get through, really. Obviously, we're not going to touch on each each game individually, but we can talk about all three as a whole, really. Maybe that's an incessant way into it. It makes it a little bit different compared to other podcasts. We can look at three as a group there uh, and determine what, we, what, what our findings are from those games. Um, and we've also got a few talking points surrounding just a bit of news on on Pep Linders and um, narratives surrounding that sort of thing, should we say? Um, but yeah, I think we'll start with with the obvious, and that is that is Cody Gapo. Obviously, he's signed for Liverpool. I mean, I did not see a comment. <laughs> I don't know about you, Mo. No, I mean. I thought that he was going to end up going to Manchester United. That's what it all looked like. I know Shame, yeah. they were kind of, you know, pussyfooting around to a certain extent, but that's just what Man United do. I expected them to get it done. It all looks like it was going there. But apparently we had had a long interest in him as well. And um, yeah, I think the main surprise wasn't so much the fact that there'd been no kind of rumours or anything, because Liverpool had done that before. I think the surprise was that they'd gone for a forward when everyone was expecting a midfielder coming in, but also they'd been decisive around an injury, which is something that in the past they haven't done. This time there was no waiting around to January 31st. This time it was, no, we need to cover that. And they did. So from that perspective, I'm happy. And I think he's an exciting prospect for sure. Yeah, well, we are going to cover him. We are going to provide the standard and Lazen Anfield background as to what this player is about, what he's like, where he shines in the numbers and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I am similar to you in the sense that I thought he was going to go to Manchester United. And if you'd have said to me, like, uh, I mean, before Christmas, really, Liverpool will make a £40 million-ish signing um, in the days leading up to the opening of the transfer window, I would have been... Pretty surprised if it wasn't a midfielder. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can see the logic behind it. I do think we probably needed a bit of a boost for the rest of the season, considering, you know, we were playing in Oxlade. Well, we have played Oxlade Chamberlain three matches in a row on the left of, of the front three. And it's just not the same for me. He's nowhere near as, as threatening as you need to be to occupy one of those roles. Diaz is going to be out for about three months, I think. And Jota has missed most of the season, so he's planned to come back at the end of this month-ish. But whether it actually happens remains to be seen. So Liverpool need goals at the end of the day, and mm-hmm. that's one of the departments, one of the boxes that Cody Gapo ticks, is just 
simple ability to score. His record this season so far is very good. He's so far got nine goals in the Dutch headed VC and 12 assists, um, which is a solid return, Mo. It is a solid return. And from speaking to people who cover the Dutch league quite a lot of, more often than I do, he has taken a jump in the last 12 to 18 months where his actual output has increased dramatically. He's always had the threat. Uh, he's always been a, a really good acceleration, good balance in his dribbling ability. And he's always had a really good uh, ability to deliver a ball. But that output has increased recently. And for me, that seems to be indicative of a player who understands his game a little bit more, understands the, t- the team around him, making better decisions, which is something that I always like to see in a player. And particularly when you're coming into a new system, that's something that he's going to need to to have in his locker to be able to pick up what we want to do. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that you touch on his upturn there, actually, because I sent a newsletter out yesterday on Gapo. It was kind of the first time I've really talked about him. I haven't really tweeted much about him or anything like that. Um, but one of the things that struck me is... It's the third signing in a row that Liverpool have made where, well, third major signing in a row that Liverpool have made where we seem to have really jumped on a player just as he's making what I like to call the leap. (laughs) As in stepping up from one level to another, just quite obviously. And we signed Luis Diaz last summer, uh, sorry, last uh, winter. And he in the months leading up to that, was very obviously making the leap. He'd scored 14 goals in 18 appearances in the Portuguese top flight compared to the previous year in which he made 30 appearances and scored six times. So that's a real jump in what he was doing. Um, Then in the summer, we go for Darwin Nunes, who scored 26 times in the Portuguese top flight compared to his total the season before of six. So, again, massive jump. Liverpool jump on it. Liverpool try and catch the wave. And, again, this seems very similar. Last season, Garpo posted 12 assists and 12 goals in the Dutch headed VC. This season, he's already matched his level, his number of assists and he's three short of his goals in about 13 fewer appearances. Mm-hmm. So and, and, obviously, we saw him in the World Cup and it was a bit of a bit of a common of age, I thought, in the World Cup. So... Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a bit of a theme at the minute where Liverpool are really take, keeping a finger on the pulse, basically. And any of these players who, make, who start to showcase real signs of making a step, Liverpool seems to be moving really quickly on them. And um, I think it's a decent tactic, to be honest. There's a bit, a bit of risk attached to it, of course, considering some of these players don't have a lot of evidence behind them, especially mm. Nunes and Diaz. But I think it's, it's, proactive. it's a proactive approach in the market. It is. And I think it's a way of closing the gap with people who have got deeper pockets and potentially more um, attractive propositions when you consider the likes of Real Madrid. Because it's all a balance, isn't it? It's finding that sweet spot between a, almost someone you can... You can never really guarantee someone's going to be good. But like you say, once they've made a leap and their output is improving you can almost kind of predict, okay, well, if they can reach that level, if they, we get them into our system now, we can help them maintain and then improve that level. But if you wait too long, then the price is going to go up and up and up. I mean, a classic example of this is Enzo Fernandez. 
Because at the moment, there's lots of people saying, well, Liverpool should have bought Enzo Fernandez in the summer when he cost 15 million rather than now when it's costing 106 million. Well, the problem with doing that is that as we stand here, he's only played 80 games, uh, club and country, if you include Benfica and Argentina. Obviously, he had played some time uh, forever played before that. That, in terms of the sample size for making real data analysis and real analysis on a player who's going to cost that much, it's a very small sample size. So you've got to weigh the balance of, are we going to try and get in early, get a cheaper guy, but then there's less of a guarantee? Or are we going to wait till we're more sure that this guy's going to be the guy, but then have to pay a lot more? Yeah, you're spot on. And I think, you know, I, I've expressed pretty strong thoughts on that over the years. I think Liverpool needs to get the balance right with that sort of thing because Liverpool are unlike the likes of Benfica and potentially Southampton and you know Roma and teams like that Liverpool are in a luxurious position whereby they're at the top of the football and food chain so when you're in that position you can basically let the likes of Benfica do the development for you and then as soon as the player reaches prime level right we'll have him he can come to Liverpool now yeah. and over the past couple of years, when Liverpool struggled, the problem was Liverpool was a feeder club at the time. Liverpool were preparing these players once they got good enough to the elite level. Barcelona would just come and post them, or Real Madrid would just come and post them. And as a result of that, you have a bit of a glass seal. So I think Liverpool should pick up on the odd prospect, and we have done with the likes of Fabio Carvalho and Harvey Elliott and things like that, Calvin Ramsey and, and players. But for the most part, for Liverpool to remain on the elite table, you basically need proven talent a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you want proven talent that is under the age of 24, 25. You get that with Canate, get that with Nunes, although he's still a very rough diamond. Um, Gakpo, I think, is 24, 23. 23. 23. Diogo Jota as well. Yeah, Diogo Jota as well. So... Although I understand the concerns that Liverpool should be buying direct from River Plate or, or whatever in, in that sense, um, I have no issues with Liverpool paying a bit more for when the players are a bit ready-made. And in terms of Gakpo, he looks like that. He looks like that kind of player. Um, we obviously just touched on his goals and assists there. I think it's it's an important element, element of his game to highlight a little bit more, actually, because he seems to be that kind of player who is very much two-way in terms of creating and scoring to a, a roughly equal level unlike someone like maybe Jota who's very much a goal scorer doesn't yeah. tend to register very many assists Gakpo seems to have that two-way element about his game which is good for us he does and a lot of his assists have come from corners which obviously from a Liverpool perspective at the moment he might not necessarily be taking every single one but his open play assists do show the profile of a player who can do it a lot more often. He has a beautiful uh, way of cutting aside and whipping the ball into the penalty area that's been devastating. And when you consider that we now have a guy who's very good in the air in those situations, in and around the penalty area, you can definitely see a connection between them two developing. And I just think he's at the stage of his career now where, like you say, he's got the ability, he's got the confidence, he's got the maturity to be able to handle things. And I think we will see how versatile he ends up being. I do think that most of his initial time is going to come from that left side. But there is lots of talk of his versatility, the ability to play centrally. We'll see how that develops. But 
I do think that he could be just what we need at this time in terms of a creative spark, particularly when we're also concerned about how many chances we're missing at the moment. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, well, you you touched on his crossing there. I think if, if we're kind of painting a picture of what his game looks like, crossing is very much in there. Um, so far this season in the Dutch head of VC, he ranks third in Holland for crosses. Uh, he's hit 134 um, behind two players. Dusan Tadic is one of them, and the other lad is a fullback by the looks of it for Vitesse. Um, and those three are kind of out on their own. The next best has got like 95. So Gakpo's a keen crosser. But it's not like a cross as in Trent Alexander-Arnold or David Beckham or someone like that. It seems to be a cross as in he runs at a back line from a wide area on the left. And rather than cutting inside and, and kind of manipulating the situation to get a shot away, like Salah does on the opposite side, for example, Gakpo tends to cut inside to the edge of the box. And he's got this way about him where he's he's really capable of putting in these like almost pitching wedge crosses towards the back post. Really delicate, cute crosses, but lots of technique on it. Um, and they usually get converted with a head, which, as you say, really valuable considering we've got Darwin Nunes in the box now. And even even Jota, if Jota was playing in there, Jota we know was very good in the air. Yes. Um, so it's a nice little, a nice little weapon, I think, to to add to your to your attack and armory, if you like. Because I can't really, off the top of my head, I'm not sure other Liverpool players offer that kind of dynamic. So it's just another way, I suppose, of creating chances that we don't already have. Yeah, and we need as many of them as possible. I I think the other thing he does like to cut inside a lot, and he will probably do it more often than not. But he does have the ability to go on the outside as well. And he can cross with his left foot and be effective. So I don't think it's one where teams are going to just build a wall and try to send him down the outside and then they shut him off. They are going to have a lot of trouble to deal with him. And I just think he's another guy who's going to occupy defence's mind, time and space. And when you have that, it's going to help the other two guys. And if you can get a scenario where you have him, Nunes, Salah, all on the pitch at the same time, all causing those problems and able to link up with each other, then that is a very tasty proposition for Liverpool going forward, I think. Yeah, some other elements of his game, he is inclined to receive the ball to feet rather than threatening behind. Although he can do that, I think. I think he's got enough pace about him to do that, but I think predominantly he is a ball to feet player. Um, And on top of that, he is, in terms of his technique, obviously I've just touched on that with his crossing. His shooting technique seems to be really good as well. He seems to connect with the ball really well, like a, a solid ball striker. Um, scores a fair few goals from outside the box by the looks of it as a result of that. And um, if we look at his expected goals in the VC and in Europe going back to 2018, which is when, for example, Alisson's young Liverpool. Since then, he's overperformed expected goals by 11.2 goals, which suggests that he's he's a decent finisher. And yeah. um, if you look at him when he strikes a ball, you can you can tell that really. You can tell that he can put his foot through it. He spent a lot of time looking at and modelling himself after his hero, which is Thierry Henry. 
And when you look at, if you look at a compilation of his finishing, then Tiro Henry screams back at you. And let's face it, he's not the worst person to be copying, really, is he? No, he's not. And I think another element in which he's similar to Henry is he's quite tall, Gakpo. He is about 6'2", I think it is. I think 6'4". Oh, I think he's bigger than that. I, th- I think he's taller than Nunes. Oh, okay. Well, it's says 6'2 on, uh, on FB ref, but maybe, you know, those numbers tend to be a little bit unreliable when it comes to height and stuff. Everyone's got a different take on that, so maybe he is, yeah. I mean, I've seen him with Klopp. He's, t- he's definitely taller than Klopp. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, really insistent. But I think it, in comparison to Henri, Henri was also tall, right? But neither of them scored that many headers, despite no. the height. And I think that you know, dissimilar in that sense. So Gakpo, you could you could argue, okay, he's a threat from set pieces now because we've got a six foot three lad in or or whatever he is. But he doesn't score many from with, with his head. So that's just something to, to throw in there. Mm. It's a nice thing to have to have a physical player like that who can who's quick, but like Nunes in a way. But Nunes is good with his head. Gakpo wins aerial duels. His aerial duel numbers are better than many of his peers in terms of forwards, but doesn't seem to score any money, which is curious. No, I think what that is nature of is his he's winning aerial duels against fullbacks when he's being drawn yeah. out wide and they're playing the ball up to him. What he's not doing is fighting um, with the centre halves in the centre of the pitch. He's not a kind of back to goal bruiser if he plays as a number nine. In fact, if you have one of those, play him just behind him and he'll thrive. If someone else is doing all the the, the, the bruising work and he's able to nip in. But he can use his height to his advantage, as I say, when he pulls out wide. Because more often than not, unless you play Newcastle, of course, they are going to have very tall fullbacks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think another element of his game as well is he's a really keen ball carrier as well. Um, not specifically a dribbling, although he is a keen dribbler as well. But just his tendency to carry the ball over large distances. Mm-hmm. A bit like Jota when, he, when Jota was at Wolves. Um a bit like Jared Bowen when Liverpool were linked with Jared Bowen at West Ham. Liverpool tend to like these wide players who, if needed, can act as like outlets basically and, and carry it up the field. And Gakpo seems to be one of those players. Scored a lot of goals and registered a fair few assists and chances he created and stuff like that last season on the back of carries, uh, which is a nice quality to have. But if we're on downsides, which is a, a thing that we do, you know, we can't avoid that. It's not really a downside, but one of the interesting things I thought when I was looking at his profile was just his general pass completion is really, really low, mm-hmm. like extremely low. Um, he completes so far, well, not so far this season, over the past year, he's averaged just under 66% pass completion, um, which is really, really low and puts him in the, in the bottom 7% of forwards across Europe um, so he's obviously a player who loses the ball pretty often you know a way of looking at that really is when he's when he's on the ball and he makes a pass he's essentially like 34% likely to find an opponent yeah. <laughs> with that pass which is interesting it is um, one thing I would say though as well is I think his volume of passing is down low which again may suggest how he's being used as in he's not the one doing the passing he's the one they're passing to so yeah, when he's losing when he's leaving the ball it's either a cross as we mentioned or a shot 
So from that perspective, yes, I think it is something that has been mentioned against him in terms of his uh, losing possession. That's definitely one thing that did come against him in Holland, something he'll definitely have to improve on in a Liverpool team. But I think the, the best way to kind of counteract that, particularly in the early days, is to get other players in and around him. I think I'd like to think that Andy Robertson will be playing in his first few appearances behind him because he's got experience of having basically <laughs> bringing someone into the system in a very similar way to how he did with Luis Diaz a year ago. He's almost like the left-sided babysitter and he's really good at it as well. So Robertson will be able to kind of pick up on what Gakpo wants to do, where he wants to do and get in and around him. So there's always a red shirt within five or 10 yards of him. So he's not being expected to always try to play difficult balls. He has an outlet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Liverpool use him in a similar way. I think we go back to Diaz in terms of him being an outlet ball. That was something that happened quite a lot. And when you consider the way Liverpool are playing in the present main and the fact that teams against us are looking to pack the centre, there's a lot of space out wide. So in that instance, if we have a pacey guy out, out wide who's good at running with the ball and good at producing uh, output of crosses and shots at the end of it, Feels like a kind of a perfect fit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the the, the tendency to lose the ball could just stem from the fact he has been uh, the talisman really for for PSV, so he's inclined to, to try things, inclined to take risks on the ball, and obviously his assist numbers are decent, so it could just stem from that really. But it is curious considering, say for example, Diaz, the the year that Liverpool signed Diaz from Porto, uh, Diaz was Porto's. Uh, talisman and he played on the same side mm-hmm. and Diaz posted a passing accuracy of just under 80% that season. As I said, Gakpog down towards 65%. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I think it's interesting as well is Liverpool already have a few of these players in the team and in the attack. Jota gives the ball away a lot. Salah gives the ball away a lot. Nunes gives the ball away a lot. And Trent gives the ball away a lot. Um. And I think one of the players who is maybe a bit more inclined to make the ball stick is Roberto Firmino. Yes. Who has a contract which is due to expire at the end of the season. So it's just a curious dynamic to keep an eye on, maybe that Liverpool are signing these players who are extremely creative, but are maybe a bit um, almost too inclined to embrace risk mm. to the extent that you can maybe be a little bit open. But we, we'll see on that. Maybe you'll just... Maybe it'll, his numbers will take a massive boost in that sense because he's playing for a more dominant team like Liverpool. But it's definitely a curious element worth touching on and worth monitoring as well. I, I agree. I think when you look at the profile of our forwards, Firmino still does a lot of things that no one else does. Yeah. And for that reason, I'd still be inclined to keep him around. I do think Jota is improving in that element in terms of keeping the ball, particularly when he plays in that kind of withdrawn central position but yeah at the moment it does look like we've got we in terms of the complementary players we're going to need someone behind them who's very good at keeping the ball and very good at winning it back if any of those other guys lose it yeah i'm thinking someone like a Firmino or even like a Griezmann in the world cup just like Someone to provide a bit of glue. I'm thinking just because if we if we're playing with a front line of Gakpo, Salah, and Nunes, 
I mean, the ball's not going to stick, is it? The, the ball's, um, it's chaos. It's also chaos. And if you could just put a number 10 in there, maybe in a 4 2 3 1, or, or maybe even two really controlling number eights could do it or something. But I'm just thinking you might need a player in there who just kind of helps things take over, like for me, I was done over the past few years. And like Griezmann did at the World Cup to a, a really high level. Um, Agreed. It'd be interesting to see who, who who we try to target for that role because I do believe that whoever comes in in midfield, one of them is going to have to have that job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one fear there, I'm not sure if it's a downside, more of a concern, is obviously Liverpool have bought this player who favours the left of the pitch. And if you look at the squad injury-free at least, we're quite well stacked over there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Diaz, that's Diaz's position. Diaz doesn't really play anywhere else either. Yeah. And Jota, if Jota's going to play on a flank, he would favour that side. And if you think of Nunes, Nunes is a striker for me, central. But if he's going to drift towards anywhere, it's going to be the left. Yes. So to get to get Gapo in as well, have, have you got any concern there about, like, did oh. he need a left-sided four, another left-sided four, you know what I mean? Potentially, but again, this does depend upon how much development and how much of his versatility we can use. Because obviously, in the World Cup for the Netherlands, he was played centrally, um, more as kind of almost as a 10 than a proper nine, because yeah. they had a um, Bergvine and um, uh, Memphis Depay ahead of him, but they also had three center halves behind him. and. That's not something that Liverpool ever do. And I do think tactically there is a large gap between what Louis van Gaal wants to do and what Jurgen Klopp wants to do, which might make his suitability for the centre something that's a little bit further along. But I do think it is in his future. I do think he can do it. I think he's going to have to get a little bit stronger, particularly to be able to take the battering from centre-halves in behind him. He's probably going to have to improve on his actual play with the back to goal as well. But he does have it in his locker. Like I've kind of did a little bit of a potential depth chart based on what we have, and to be honest, based on having no Firmino, and I did have Diaz, Jota, Gakpo, and Nunes all potentially out on the left side. But then I do think that you've got for the central role Nunes, Jota, Salah, and then maybe eventually Gakpo as well. So I think that maybe right side. You're looking at Salo and potentially Ben Doak. That's probably the one that's looking a little thin. But I do think that options-wise, it's not going to be a case of everyone only wants to play there. I do think we are going to get to see some of them, Jota in particular, move around. Yeah, I mean, I think I read something that it's not actually dependent on um, Diaz and Jota being injured. And this was a long-term sign that Liverpool were always interested in anyway. But whether I totally believe that, I don't know. Um, I do think this has been kind of enforced a little bit by the serious long-term knocks to our two left-sided options. And in that sense, I don't overly mind it because I do think you need a threat on both flanks. And we haven't really had that since the return. Um, I mean, I'm curious to see kind of what happens when everybody's fit. Um, But then, A, that really happens. And B... Um, you have nice substitutes and you have a lot of competitions to play. So it's going to be interesting to see how Klopp uses them and, and whether he does feel them as a number 10 every now and then, whether he, whether he feels them through the middle. Maybe given his height and given the fact he can probably bulk up a bit and given the fact that he 
is a bit of an output merchant in terms of goals and assists. Maybe he can follow a similar path to Cristiano Ronaldo, potentially, where he, he, he scores goals a lot from the flanks and eventually becomes a man for the for the middle. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. But right now, Liverpool have a bit of a weird, uneven forward line. And a lot of it stems from several injuries on the left and the fact that Mohamed Salah is just indestructible on the right. You know, it's, yeah. it's funny. <laughs> I, uh, I, I always make the joke that... Um... Mo Salah is basically Bruce Willis in Unbreakable. And, um, <laughs> and everybody else is Samuel Jackson. Like, literally everybody else. But I think you're right. Not only the fact that it's so rare that we have all of, all of our forwards available, but when they are all available, we will need to change the game from the bench. That is something that all top teams need to have. Last year, it was massive for us. And we've already said the idea of tired defences, having someone like Gakpo to come on or having someone like Nunes to come on or having someone like Diego Jota to come on or Luis Diaz to come on. When you think about a game that's been tight and tough and the opponents have been tired out and then you put those guys on, like that is going to be the difference between drawing and winning and losing and drawing on more than one occasion if we get it right. Yeah, I mean overall, I have I have no major issues with the sign. I think it's a good price. He's a good age. He's making the leap. Does seem to be a bit of an output merchant. Um, versatile, speaks the language very well. Tall, so there's lots of positives in there. I know there's been a bit of controversy around Linders and all this stuff, but. As th- I don't think this is a bad signing by any means. I think this is a good player and um, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in. But we'll call it a day there on on um, on Gakpo because we've got other talking points to address. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Next up, we'll just touch on Liverpool's form. I think we'll, we'll just look at all three games as a whole. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, what are your overriding feelings now more after seeing Liverpool back for a, a week or two you know is there any change in your opinion you know anything like that um no I, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit more worried to be honest with you because yeah. I was thinking that the form that we showed towards the end of the break was something that we could potentially build on I've heard all of the right noises what they were talking about in the second preseason about how they were working specifically on the pressing and the counter pressing and how it was something that was a real focus for the team and becoming less open. And it's not worked because we are still wide open. Now (laughs) we talked before about Firmino and his ability to be the glue. I think what we saw in those three games before the break was him at the tip of a midfield diamond being the first line of defence, if you will, that allows the other three in midfield to be just that little bit deeper. And it wasn't very noticeable in terms of the, the distances, the average positions, but it seemed to really work. Now, Firmino has not been out. I mean, Firmino has not been available in these first three games. And again, we've been wide open. And as we mentioned before, there's not very many other people at the moment who can do the Firmino role the way he does it. So that does kind of make me worried. Potentially when he comes back, it might solve some of the problems short term. But again, 
we've mentioned, he, he he can't be playing every week. Yeah, I think I, I said a while back, I can't remember what it was what it was on the back of. Liverpool picked up a, a result that way it wasn't particularly good. And my take from it on this show, I think, was I don't think anything is going to change until this is addressed in, in the transfer market. I think this is Liverpool now. You know, what we've seen in the past three weeks or whatever you want to call it, uh, three games, sorry. This is Liverpool now. You know, we we can pose a threat and attack. Um, we can dominate the ball sometimes uh, when we're not attacked. But when we are attacked, it was so easy to cut open. Mm. And we have no presence in the middle of the field, no legs at all. The engine room's completely out of steam. And you've got players who have either been there too long. As I said, I don't think... The, the, the only thing is, it doesn't look like we're going to address it this this window. So, we're going to have to put up with this for another six months. <laughs> this I is mean, Liverpool for six months now, sadly. I hope not. I hope we do still address it in the window. And I'm not giving up hope. I'm just checking on my calendar. It's, yeah, it's only the 5th of January, Josh. Come on, man. We got we got time. <laughs> a, few, a few more bad defeats and I'm sure someone will be kind of press gang this way. No, I'm, I'm only half joking. Um, I do think some of the noises around we're not doing anything are just those noises because in this current market, particularly in the January market, which is so sensitive, I think it's fair to say in terms of fluctuations and deals coming close and then crashing around you, you don't want to say I'm desperate. And the watching Liverpool at the moment makes us look desperate. So everything we say needs to kind of try and drag that back. So I'm not too concerned about that. We might get here on February 1st and we haven't solved it and then we got a problem. But yeah, I do... Because of the nature of the problem in terms of it's the lack of the intensity available, there's only so much you can do. I think that was my point when I was talking to Jamie Carragher because he mentioned about everybody just dropping deeper, although he only mentioned defence. He later added everybody. Uh, But... The, the even if we are closer to each other and come more compact, at the moment I still don't trust us to be able to close the spaces. So then we've just got the same problem, just closer to the goal. We and yeah, you look at Milner, you look at Henderson, you look at Fabinho, you look at Thiago. Those four guys have got an average age of thirty-two years old. They've played sixty-seven percent of the midfield minutes, like. That is a recipe for disaster. Now, you can say the reasons behind why Curtis Jones hasn't played more, why Naby Keita hasn't played more, but those are the only two, really, who you can say within the squad would be able and and should be able to do the job to give them rest and time. They haven't been there, and so we've got nobody. And getting someone in there, I mean, there is still Arthur, of course. We'll have to wait and see what happens with him. (laughs) <laughs> he's started. still there like he's still wearing <laughs> them training bibs but I mean yeah I think in terms of in the way that in previous injury crises Klopp has adapted formations and game plans I think of obviously early in the season when we were going with the 4-4-2 kind of flat thing and even previous um, times when um, we had um, 
Ozan Kabak and Nat Phillips in center halves, and everybody just had to come back a bit. So it has happened, but I feel Klopp is still really reluctant to do it. So we might still see more of what we saw over the last couple of games where we're trying to get people to do something that they just can't do anymore. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, I, I can sort of understand why he's reluctant to do it. And the reason I can understand that is because I think Liverpool's system, for the most part, is fine. But what I think the problem is, is the players. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you, you feel them players who can't, who can't do it anymore. And I think if you was to take out... Um, I don't know who played as the number eight against uh, Brentford. If you take out Thiago and Harvey Elliott and you put in Jude Bellingham and Enzo Fernandez, let's say it's probably not when Liverpool aren't going to get those two players, but let's let's say you just put them in Liverpool, it's an entirely different game, completely different game. And this is why I, I feel like long term, I'm not that worried about Liverpool. I think we'll be fine because I think if you fix the midfield. Everything else kind of fixes like you'd be amazed at the difference it makes. Yes. But, um short term, I do think for the next six months it's gonna be awful. <laughs> with, and I with, don't think we're gonna qualify for the Champions League. I, I really which don't. Is, well, I mean, I, I I'm not hundred percent sure that I still think we've got a, a fighting chance. I still think we've got a better chance. Yeah, we've got a fighting chance, yeah. And that's I it, think, but I, I think it's it's more hope I, I think, than anything I think else we've got We've got a better chance than at least two of the teams currently above us, if you ask me, personally. I do think that. Okay, let's have a look. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think we've got a better chance than Spurs, and I do think we've got a better chance than Man United, personally. I know that Man United are looking good at the moment, but mm. I don't believe that they're going to be this good from now to the end of the season. And the other thing you've got to think about with top four, with as more teams that are in the fight, more good teams there are, the higher the chance of other teams dropping points. And as we've seen so far this season, there's only been three teams available to put four wins plus together in a row in the league. That's Arsenal, Newcastle and Liverpool. So when we get it right, we can do it in a way that so far no one else has been able to prove that they can. So that's why I'm still not junking that. But you're right. It could be messy. And the other reason why it could be messy and it could be a longer-term problem is that, yes, bringing in new players does solve the problem, but we might have to widen the pool of players who we think can solve that problem. Because if it's just this guy or no one, as it has been previously, and then we're left with no one, we've seen what that looks like. (laughs) We we can't afford to do that that many times because we are just going to be left with no one forever. We can't do that anymore. So I don't know whether or not that means that there's going to be compromises made or whether we're just going to have to, I don't know, cast our net wider. But we need we need to be decisive. Whatever happens in the next two windows in the midfield department, we need to be decisive. Yeah, I, th- I think my, my issue is just, as I said earlier, the, the past three games for me since Christmas, that is Liverpool now for me. That that's that's Liverpool now. Exactly what we've seen. We have goals, we have attacking threats. Obviously there's I have some sympathy there with the attacking injuries. 
you know, that's a little bit different. And maybe Gapo will give us a boost in that sense. But particularly the way we are without the ball, that that's Liverpool and that's going to remain, I think, until the end of the season. So far, Liverpool have, have given away 51 big chances this season. It's a lot. Arsenal. Um, and I think there's only Leeds and Fulham who are worse than that. And if you look at the teams above Liverpool in terms of the Champions League, Manchester United and Spurs, I'm not convinced by either of them. Um, I don't think either of them are are consistent enough to be reliable and, and, and things like that. But my problem is, unlike previous years, neither Liverpool... (laughs) <laughs> that, that that's my thing at the minute previous years I've had confidence that Liverpool have either been unlucky or, or whatever it's been or you know things like that but right now I just don't know if like man, like the gap between Liverpool and Man United at the minute is 7 points mm-hmm. same game, same amounts of games played I don't know if Liverpool are going to be 7 points better than Man United in the second half of the season it's possible but it's it's more. It feels like it's more hope than logic when I look. Well, well, I mean, Man United have got to play Man City and Arsenal back to back very soon. Mm. After have, and they've got a midweek game as well because they're in the quarterfinal of the EFL Cup. They might rotate, but they can't rotate a lot. So again, it could look very different very soon. This is the thing about this season: is that that unpredictability kind of hangs over everything and so it allows you to think well that doesn't look good but we don't really know anything this year to be yeah, honest i think one, one of the problems i have though is if you look at liverpool's previous two games even before brentford yeah we 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 did not shouldn't have won against leicester no no but villa, villa, but. villa was fine villa was fine for a, for a half at least villa was fine I think we deserve to win that game overall. Um, but Leicester, Le- and, and Leicester Brentford was could wild. have easily been two losses. Like, yeah, Leicester was wild. There's no getting around it. I think we don't have the security, we don't have the surety of being good in the way that we used to. But there are still enough indicators, I think, that can get us through. Because And it doesn't help when you're having to rely on these things because they can go wrong. But... I remember not too long ago a Manchester United side that were terribly open defensively, had horrific centre halves, but what they did have was a very good goalkeeper and forwards who scored goals. We have a very good goalkeeper, yeah. and you, you mentioned we're the top of the big chances league in terms of giving them up. We're top of the big chances league in terms of creating them as well. <laughs> Yeah, now, and, and top for missing them as well. As top for missing them, yes, yes, yes. Obviously. But the thing with that is, I think, and this feels like it could be a whole show on its own, finishing and the ability to finish those chances, a lot of it is mental. So it's in that respect can potentially be solvable. But a lot of it is average, a lot of averages. And I think that the volume of chances that we're creating is so high that we are going to start scoring them and those are going to go down because a lot of focus has been on Darwin Nunes missing chances and yes there are a reason for those I mean Salah's been doing it as well and I really do not expect Salah to be 
keep missing big chances. And that's the difference, really, isn't it? If you've got three quality players, when we add Cody Gakpo in, all three of them aren't going to be having off days every week. And if we're creating that volume of chances and one of them's not having an off day, we will score goals. Again, this is not the kind of strength of play that we're used to. You're right. We are going to look shonky for quite some time, I think, this season. But these are the things that can bail us out. Yeah, they yeah, might yeah. not necessarily, but they can bail us out. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I think overall, um, Liverpool are kind of in a position now where they just need to keep grinding, grinding results. So basically, I've, I've had a few questions since me regarding like Klopp's time at Dortmund and whether this is, you know, history with beating itself. Basically, I would argue no. Uh, I don't think it's the same. I I almost think. Um, the BVB side was better, but the the issue was at the time Dortmund was just really really unlucky. That that was the difference then. They were creating a fair bit. The goalkeeper was massively underperforming. I think the finishing was underperforming as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in reality, if Everton had been normal, I think Dortmund would have been Champions League spots. But obviously they weren't. And on the back of that, people judged it as like you know it's it's timeouts. Klopp's kind of finished in the role and things like that, when in reality, he was never the issue. No, and the other thing about the Klopp-Dortmund thing, the reason why he announced it when he did and left when he did was because they already know who was replacing him. Thomas Tuchel was already there. Like, that, that, that transition was a done deal at some point. Because at that stage in his career, Klopp wasn't thinking about staying at any club forever and ever. He was already thinking about that transition. So I think it's kind of overplayed, that whole crumble thing. I do think if he'd have stayed there to the end of the season, the upturn that they had second half probably still would have happened. So I'm not as fearful of that as a lot of people are anyway. And yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that's what we're seeing now. I think what we are seeing now is a perfect storm of a very particular set of circumstances based on the achievements and the disappointments and exactly how we've got there, whether it's through the recruitment system, whether that's through the intensity of our play, all of those things factor in. There is no one golden solution or golden symptom that's causing all of it. I know it'd be so much easier if there was, but there isn't. Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. At the same time, I do think there's one primary headline issue, and it, and it is the midfield for me. I think if you oh. if you look at the team, the goalkeeper's fine, the left back, the right back, and the centre halves are fine. The front line is fine, especially with Gakpo's addition. Now you've brought down the average age, you've got in the new generation. That's fine. It's the midfield, and I think with us doing a weekly podcast, it's easy to kind of start going galaxy brain and start going really deep into like, is it this? Is it, is it the kit man? You know, is it, and all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, in reality, in reality, it's the same issue we identified three months ago. It, it's yeah. it's the midfield. Fix the midfield, and the transformation w- will be dramatic. It'll be overnight, just just like in twenty eighteen. Liverpool finished fourth, brought in Van Dijk, Fabinho and Alisson Becker. 
and then accumulated 90... How many points? 90... 97 that first year. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. 97 it was, yeah, yeah. Um, that's 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 the transition that you make overnight if you fully throw everything you've got at your overwhelming problem. And Liverpool's yeah. overwhelming problem for me is the engine room because there's no steam left. There's, there's nothing left in there. No, um, but but it's noticeable that that problem changed overnight with three players because there was a little bit of a narrative that yeah. Van Dyke came in and suddenly night was day. But it wasn't quite like that. And you can't hang everything on one guy. It needs to be more than that. <laughs> and in the situation we're in, I think when you're kind of trying to hedge your bets on two or three different options, but also save enough money for the one that you really want, it's a very, very difficult problem to get around. But as much as I do think Jude Bellingham would be a fantastic footballer for Liverpool. I think if it comes down to a, we can guarantee we get him, but we might not get anyone else, or getting two or three good options, I'm definitely going with option B. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where I stand on that one, to be honest. I do, think Liverpool, I do think Liverpool need multiple additions, though, without question. There's no way we need one. Definitely need a bare minimum two in centre midfield. Honestly, without question. Um, but it's just going to be interesting to see how we cope now. If we don't address it this window, it's going to be interesting to see what the rest of the season looks like because it's difficult to play without a midfield, really is. Um, but for the last 10 minutes anyway, we will talk about the whole Pep Linders narrative. I think some news came out about uh, his power growing at Anfield. It's something that has been... I think we mentioned it on this podcast. And yeah. um, it's been speculated by a few people and things like that. Um, what do you think? <laughs> well, I th- first of all, when I first saw it, I thought, well, this is interesting, literally because it's things In fact, that you, you, you sent me it, didn't you, actually? Yeah, because it was like, this is some of the stuff that we've discussed kind of like in the in the abstract, but again, from a base of zero knowledge. And someone's kind of put all of those well, I want to call it maybe circumstantial pieces of evidence together, strung them together, and made an article out of it. I that we are we have to be careful with this because obviously we don't know who does what, mm. and we're not there. So you can be made to look stupid in the future when someone releases an autobiography and tells everybody what's going on. But whenever the stories like this come out, I think it's important to kind of take a step back and just look at the whole picture. Uh, for starters, the story was broken by Sam Wallace of The Telegraph, who is a very reputable writer, the chief writer of The Telegraph, football writer. But he's not the guy who does the Liverpool beat. That's Chris Bascom. And as yet, Chris Bascom has said nothing on the matter of Pep Linders and his influence, which either tells me that Liverpool have decided to bypass Bascom for some unknown reason, or Wallace's... Um, connection is maybe not as strong as we are led to believe. And so there's that. That that source point is always really important in stories like this. But when you think about the actual bones of what is being said in terms of the fact that because we're buying players from the Dutch League and the Portuguese League, these are places that Pep Linders has influence in, knowledge and scouting of. And so we are turning the keys over to him. Well, 
that's the kind of knowledge and uh, extra kind of scouting now that all clubs use and all clubs want. Mm. So the fact that that's been painted as a bad thing now is interesting to me. The second part that's interesting to me is the idea that Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen <laughs> Norbert Klopp, who we've all known and seen for the last seven years, is just going to like kick back, you know, give, yeah. give, give Pep the keys and be like, oh yeah, you crack on that. I'm not worried. <laughs> and, and the evidence of this is that he's taking training sessions. Like, guys, assistant managers take training sessions. Yeah, kind of the yeah. way it always goes. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm putting a Scarface-sized mound of salt on the table when reading it. But it is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think the the training thing is is absolute nonsense. That that just doesn't <laughs> matter in the slightest. And that's been the case for years, by the way. Linders has been taking training sessions for years. That is not a problem. And he's part of the reason why Liverpool got so good at building from the back suddenly and possession-based football suddenly and breaking down a block and all that stuff. That stems from Linders because he kind of there was a point where he kind of took over from Buvac basically when Buvac left. Um, so I've got no issues with him taking training sessions. And I will say as well that, that a similar dynamic happened there. Old Trafford with Ferguson. Ferguson was there for so long, he got to a point eventually where he was kind of just overseeing everything as more of a delegator, really, and just kind of that leader, authoritative figure who kind of let. Because Klopp said, like, one thing with Linders is he's Klopp did his coaching badges like 20 years ago, you know, and, and football's such a modern game that, like, after stuff Klopp learned, probably well out of date by now. Linders is much more of a modern coach in that sense. And then you've got Visa Massos from um from Porto, who's potentially going to be the next guy in line. You know, you're always trying to get new ideas in. So there's no issues with that. In terms of the transfers, um if he's getting blamed, or not well, not blamed, if he's get if he's getting the credits or whatever for Gakpo, Diaz, and Nunes, I have no major problems with with that because those three in my opinion are good signings and if we didn't know about the Linders news I would put them all down to data driven signings as well I don't think there's any major issues with any of them they're all good players um, and they're all output merchants really in the numbers Um, one of the issues I do have is Liverpool's midfield oversight in the summer is is a massive oversight and it's mm-hmm. hugely cost us and I would like to know where that stemmed from and how that happened. Um, and I think if if you're kind of doing all your business through Klopp and Linders rather than the sporting director and a and a, a gang of nerds, essentially, <laughs> um, in, in the nicest possible way, by the way, I'm a huge fan of these nerds. Um, I do think it kind of impacts three areas if you kind of do it all yourself almost. I think, first of all, it will make the eventual loss of Klopp harder to manage, which I have touched on. But I think if you're doing it all, if, if the guy at the top's doing it all, like Wenger and Ferguson did, everything collapses when he leaves, which we've touched on. Second, the there's more loyalty to, to favourites, such as Henderson and Milner, for example. So there's a bit of evidence with that. Mm. Um, and on top of that, 
as you say, Mo, there's a tendency to favour certain markets. Um, Gakpo from Holland, which is where Linders is from, and Nunes and Diaz, both from Portugal, which is where um, Linders previously coached and where Julian Ward has a lot of connections and things like that. So I think you that much of a problem um, because I think Michael Edwards did it to an extent with, with Red Bull clubs, for example. But it, it, I suppose it is it when it comes to like there's a better alternative somewhere, like say for example in France, but you're just not going there because you don't know France that well. That that's an issue. Yeah, I think when it becomes to the detriment of everything else. But again, we without being in the room, we don't know what discussions were. We don't know who else was under consideration and all of those things. But like you say, in terms of what we were saying before in terms of whose voices are being valued in the room and those kind of things. You can see how it can cause tension. I mean, on the, it was only a couple of weeks ago we were told that Julian Ward gave up his Christmas dinner to get Cody Gakpo over the line. <laughs> and now someone else is being given the credit. I mean, I'd yeah. be pissed off. <laughs> but, I mean, in all seriousness, though, until we get to the end of the this transfer window really or maybe even the summer and we see what our real strategy is um it's hard to really kind of make these kind of oh well this is definitely um the situation kind of statements but it can lead to issues another issue that you mentioned before you were listing all the things about Klopp having too much autonomy one of the things i've seen from a lot of different sports is that the manager of the team should not have any influence whatsoever on the money of the players. So salaries, so contract renewals, all of that stuff should be someone else's problem. Because when a player and a club are in disagreement over those things, you don't want that to spill over into the dressing room. You want that to be all the way over there. And you've seen it so many times in American sports where you've got a guy who's a coach and and the general manager being the downfall. And you don't see it coming. And we've already had a little bit of a flavour of that with apparently Klopp stepping in to secure Henderson's new contract. Now, he's the captain, and that can be seen as a a kind of a special case. So that might not necessarily cause any eruptions within the dressing room. But I do think it's a dangerous road to go down. It is. And I think on top of that, I think one of the reasons why... Liverpool didn't go for an alternative for too many is because Klopp was really keen to keep Milner in the building. And I think if we'd have got an alternative to too many, maybe Milner leaves. And I think Klopp's really loyal to Milner. I think he loves the fact that he manages the dressing room for him almost. So you could argue Milner's still here largely because of Klopp. And I think it's also worth, worth noting that this week I've read that Klopp has said that he wants Firmino to stay. Klopp also wants a genie and album to stay. And at the end of the day, you can't keep everyone. You know, these players have to leave. I would have been interested to see his opinion on Lallana, to be honest. Because he's <laughs> just been so apart with these, these players who've served them well. And I understand that. But you need to be a bit more Ferguson in that sense. And yeah. Cut the ties when they're, when they're finished for you. Definitely. And again, the human side of him, which is such a big draw and such a big plus, in the down times, there are downsides to it. And this is potentially one of them, that kind of ruthlessness. But by the same token, 
I don't think I would expect to really hear a manager say that he wants to get rid of him. Particularly, true, yeah. That's true. like with the, the guys who he's wanting to get rid of, we've known. Yeah. Um, basically, everyone who's left except Genie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with Firmino anyway. I mean, there's some report that he's got enough of him Saudi Arabia and things like that. But mm. if I'm totally honest, looking at Firmino, he does look aging he does look past it a little bit worn a little bit tired still obviously still obvious quality when he's on the ball and things like that and he'll still run himself into the ground for you but it's sometimes you, you need to just kind of cut ties a little bit and it's a bit of a problem when you 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 run on a recruitment yourself and liverpool seems to have encountered issues this season and it's coincided with linda's doing more and sporting director resigning and the data guy getting off in, in, in Ian Graham. So there's something going on behind the scenes. I don't know what it is, but if 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 Linders is getting I don't I, I don't think he should be scapegoated or anything like that. I don't think he's suddenly like um you know picked up the crown while Klopp's are sleeping and, and he's he's so charged to the building or something like that, like die hard style or something. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's anything like that, but it, I do think the, the the gradual change that seems to be happening. We touched on this a few weeks ago. I think it's mm-hmm. almost a natural change that does happen because Klopp's been at the club longer than the typical sporting director, which is unusual. But you just have to be careful that the the typical um, negatives or cons or whatever you want to call it that mm-hmm. attach to that, that kind of old school British structure don't start biting you. And they've already started biting Liverpool by the looks of it. And, I mean, without wanting to sound a bit trite, for the last five years, every club, apart from Man City, have been talking about they want to copy Liverpool. They want to do what we've done. They want yeah. our method for success. So, it's not the time for us to start going back to what everyone else was doing before when they were successful. You see what yeah. I mean? That might not necessarily yeah. be a good idea. But, again... <laughs> We don't know how much is in all of this, and we won't until in the future. But it's there's a point where you need to try to move and evolve as a team, and you might not necessarily be able to do things the same way over and over again. But by the same token, it has to be gradual. It has to be an evolution. You can't suddenly junk one uh, manual and open another one and be everyone expects to be on the same page straight away. It needs to be some kind of, if you are thinking about those things, you need to do it gradually. And again, we need to have as many of the wise heads who've been involved up to this point still involved. Yeah. Well, listen, we've done as best as we can to cover all of the stuff that we've missed. It's a long episode. We've covered an hour. Um, and we've got more to cover next week. Obviously, we haven't even touched on the likes of Matthias Nunes and, and Harvey Elliott and things like that. So, um, we'll, we'll have another new signing. We'll have a brand new midfielder to discuss next week. You watch. Yeah, well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, I'll take it. I'll take it. But, um, Mo, thanks for joining us, mate. And um, looking forward to the rest of, of 2023, I suppose. Definitely. Hopefully, Liverpool will start winning a few football matches as well. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. That'd make it a lot easier for us. Um, But yeah, thanks for tuning in. Sorry for being away for so long. And uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.